Welcome to the October edition of the Information's Crossroads podcast. I'm John Burke, America's editor of information. In this program, we aim to deliver you uh, the best in infrastructure information in 30 minutes or less, or we'll deliver you a free pizza. So we have a busy calendar ahead uh, this month and into early November. My birthday is on Saturday to start off with, but that's not why we're here. (laughs) Coming up next Wednesday and Thursday is our uh, EVES conference uh, emanating from Madrid, Spain this year. It's sort of our European Greenfields conference. It's going to be keynoted by Teresa Flynn of BlackRock Alternative Investments, uh, who's going to talk about sustainability and infrastructure investing. Next, on October 22nd, uh, is the uh, Merger Market Mexican MA Forum, where Jonathan Carmody, who's joining us on today's podcast, is uh, going to talk about uh, renewable investments in Mexico. He'll get to that a little bit later in today's program. And finally, uh, November 6th, which is, I believe is a Wednesday, is our IIF Latin American Conference, which is our Brownfields Investing Forum for Latin America, uh, to be held at the Convene uh, Conference Center in uh, Midtown, New York. Uh, and that's going to be the topic of today's podcast. Joining me today is Mr. Carmody, the news editor for Info Latin America. Thanks for joining us as always, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, JB. And uh, Katie Gavala, uh, who covers Greenfield's projects for us in uh, Latin America. Thanks for joining the program, Katie. Excited to be here. Great. And so we're going to start off talking about um, a trend that's emerged in Latin America, and this can actually be a topic at the IWF Latin America's conference. This is on highways and roads and uh, where the opportunity lies. We have a very good panel lined up uh, for that conference. Um, speakers from Brookfield Asset Management, Bob Chile, and FDN. And today we're going to talk about that trend. Uh, so Jonathan, why don't you tell us you know, what's been a real driver, uh, where these deals are going uh, down geographically, and we'll take it from there. Well, I've been with the company for about five years, and highways have always been a staple investment in Latin America. It seems like when you want to develop a PPP program, you often start with highways as a very simple setup. And now a lot of the countries have been doing this for a long time, and these roads are coming to maturity. A lot of the funds have invested for about eight to ten years in these assets, and they're starting to come to market in the secondary. We were seeing in Chile, Brookfield has sold some of its highways in the last few months. They've sold stakes in the Vespucio Norte and the Tunnel San Cristobal highways to local infrastructure funds, Ban Chile and Frontal Trust. And also we've seen French, developer, uh, French investor Ardian uh, invest in some of the highways alongside the new fund from CMB and La Reine Vial. So that's exciting to see you know, new players, new investors taking over from old players like Brookfield. Elsewhere in Chile, there are some greenfield opportunities as well, but those seem to be going a bit slower, don't they, Katie? Yeah, things are pretty delayed in Chile. The only tender process we've seen launch has been for a, for an airport group, two airports. Um, you know, they had a really big pipeline that they released in January, and typically it's a pretty solid market. But for some reason, there have been some serious delays. On the topic of greenfield, one of the big tenders that everyone is waiting for is the the retender of Route Five Talcachillan. This is a it's pretty big road 500 million dollars in capex it's a retender so it should be a pretty you know it should be a slam dunk project interestingly enough it's also actually the first 
contract that Chile is going to structure under a predetermined uh, contract term. So it's going to be for 25 years. Typically in Chile, the way this works is that the, the concessionaire and the government, they agree upon a rate of return. And then, you know, the contract term could vary depending on when that return hits. But the government is saying that in order to, you know, make these assets more competitive, they're going to try out this fixed term for 25 years. So that'll be interesting to see. Ruta 5, Talca Chijian. Um, in terms of other activity that we're seeing, honestly, the there are uh, very few open tenders right now for road projects, which is uh, kind of strange. Uh, but there are two private initiatives in Colombia right now, and the local governments are welcoming third-party interests. So these are projects that have been um, presented by local developers, and now other third parties have the opportunity to come forward and say, we're interested in potentially building these roads. So the first is a road in Antioquia. The grantor is the government of the Department of Antioquia. It's a 13-kilometer road proposed by Con Concreto, as well as a couple of others. Um, so right now there's a period third parties can come forward, say, you know, we're interested in building this road and see if the government bites. And then the other one is a road in Cartagena that's supposed to facilitate cargo transport to the port of Cartagena. So just create more space to get cargo over to the port. That's being proposed by KMA Construcciones. And again, the period is open for third parties to come forward. These processes tend to not be incredibly competitive in Colombia because these are private initiatives that don't require any public resources. These roads are just going to generate income from the tolls. The government isn't actually required to open been a full tender process. So what will happen now is if a third party comes forward and says, we're interested, they'll get a couple of months to put together a bid. If their bid is better than the original proposer, that original proponent gets the chance to say, well, we can do it for less. And uh, so if no third parties come forward and say they're interested, the projects are going to be immediately awarded to the originators. So interesting opportunities. Um, but in Colombia, you know, 95% of these private initiatives tend to be awarded to the, the company that originally proposed it. So we'll see what happens. But really, we're waiting for Chile to release this Talca Chijan tender. Great. Thanks, Katie. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other big investors down in highways has always been Sasir from Spain. And they decided to monetize a lot of their assets recently by selling a 49% stake to Toesca. Toesca is another one of these upstart funds in Chile. They've been investing in a few highways over the years. They've got some interesting assets as well in, in uh, water concessions and some electric assets. But it's, it's interesting to see them then take on a large chunk of, of the responsibility for highways in Sassier's portfolio. We understand they're bidding as well for some minority stakes in a couple of highways, which are owned by the Falabella Group. Anybody who knows Latin America might know Falabella is a fashion and retail conglomerate. Uh, they also have a few financial interests as well as other, other companies in the mix. But they have two companies as part of the family group, which also own 49% stakes in two of these highways, which are co-owned by Toesca and Sasir. And it looks like it's between Toesca and Diff, who are looking to make their first Latin American highway investment, possibly in those highways. Be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, and you don't see Walmart owning uh, roads in the U.S. Just thinking about it. But anyway. Uh, well, my favorite one is Louis Vuitton, which owns a railway in Peru. No. Yeah, LVMH as they call it. Yeah. Uh, that's their group. They bought a hotel group called Belmont, okay. I think. 
and Belmont owned this railway, which is a tourist railway to Machu Picchu. So there's a, a good commercial reason all in, I suppose. Is the train particularly beautiful? Do we know? I think the trip is particularly beautiful. Okay, so at least they've got that the going for Yeah. <laughs> Katie was aiming for uh, scented seats. Leather, exactly, uh, I wanted some leather yeah. uh, branded seats. Sounds like a research trip. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Sorry, exactly. JB. Please, okay. I have to go to Peru. I think I want to go too. <laughs> Just talking through, um, you know, the rest of the conference, um, some of the highlights. Um, obviously, we can't have an IWF Latin American Forum without surely talking about Brazil. We've had a um, year full of dynamic change that um, everything we previewed about the Bolsonaro administration sort of started to come true. He asked for large privatization and uh, challenge accepted, I suppose. Jonathan, what can you tell us about what we've seen emerge so far from this privatization trend? Well, we saw the airport concessions. Uh, they were tendered and won by some of the large European players. We've also seen some movement in terms of the water utilities tendering out projects and looking for privatizations or IPOs. There's a bit of a, a saga going on at the moment with Igua Sanamiento very hard to understand their, their motivations here, but it looks like they tried to IPO and then they pulled back at the last minute. So we're waiting to see what happens with that situation. Very interesting enough, one of the highways was recently tendered as well. Uh, I think it was Ecorolo Vias, which won a new highway there. And it looks like maybe the Vira Copos Airport is going to find some kind of resolution soon as the time's running out for the investors to provide financial solutions. So it's likely going to have to be a sale process that we'll, we'll see bids in the coming months for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, your point, we've seen plenty of um, European interest um, in the, above the airports that come down to Brazil and make runs at some of these airports. Sure. And to put it in context, yeah. you know, I think as everybody knows, Brazil has suffered for years with the, the scandals of Lava Jato and all of the corruption that was involved in that. Many of the large construction companies have been displaced from the market just because they, they had to rebalance their books. They've had to sell their foreign concessions outside of Brazil and kind of concentrate on their core business within the country. You know, like with ICA in Mexico when they went through bankruptcy, we saw them kind of refocus on construction. That's their core business. That's what they're good at. The concessions were a bit of a luxury and a bit of a money-making mechanism for them. And so for them to go back to doing what they do best and just building, I think that's created this space for European companies to enter the market and displace some of them. And also on the capital markets side, um, you know, hopefully these panels will talk a little bit about the debenture market because it's just working its way into a lot of these um, situations. I guess we've seen a lot more on sort of these operating companies being able to raise money to um, refinance project finance or um, you know expand projects, uh, something along those lines. I mean, that's a very become a very grown up market all of a sudden. Yep. Lots of issuance volume. Towards the end of last year, we saw some of the transmission lines awarded in, in the competitive tender and companies from all over, including some Indian companies for a change. And a few of those have now been financed with debentures. We've seen the issuances and some of the wind farms and some of the renewable technology has also been funded that way too. Yeah. And this comes amidst, of course, Benda saying, BNDES saying they were going to pull back from lending. So this is the gap, essentially. Essentially, yeah, yeah I've, I've been hearing that for a long time. So if that's really the case and BNDS is really going to step back and, and not provide so much financing, then that's a great opportunity for, for banks everywhere. Yeah. But I'm still waiting to see that really, yeah. really become the case. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. Um, and I, I don't think um, some of the debt funds that have risen uh, in the past 
uh, two to three years necessarily targeting Brazil or, or specifying Brazil. Latin America, I think, is surely in that conversation. It's just not very specific to Brazil, so we don't know if they're playing down there or not. I think the funds I've talked to before have not necessarily said that's something they're targeting yet. But so far, sorry for that panel, we've got Eduardo Redes from KPMG speaking and uh, more of that to come. The last topic I wanted to talk about real quick um, is something we'll also be discussing is uh, midstream uh, opportunities. Um, this will also be a topic we'll be discussing at our America's uh, Investing Conference uh, in February just because there's obviously been a ton of activity amongst funds in both regions, essentially, buying into the midstream, buying the, into the sanctity of um, uh, pipeline contracts. I had a meeting with somebody recently who said it best that a lot of these funds are turning to defensive investments, you know, against you know, the looming threat of, of a global recession if it's coming at some point. But you see, you know, midstream being in that category um, uh, along with data centers because that's also a highly defensible measure. Like, where is where's data going? How's that going to eviscerate? But midstream is obviously a completely animal of its own. So uh, with that in mind, uh, maybe explain some of the deals we've seen this year and um, you know, sort of what's driving that dynamic down in Latin America. Sure. Well, you know, some of the most important deals were Brookfield's entrance into Mexico through the acquisition of BlackRock and First Reserve stakes in the Los Ramones pipeline. Uh, this is the Los Ramones 2 North and South pipelines. Brookfield paid, I think it was around $400 million for the stakes. And uh, it was, like I said, their first entrance into Latin America. Well, not into Latin America, but into Mexico. And, you know, we've heard their name mentioned with other pipeline deals as well. Uh, We've heard they were looking at other assets in the sector. You know, one of the deals that was obviously the most significant for us in, in a long time has been TAG. We talked about it in the last podcast, I believe, but TAG was a huge deal and really just displayed how attractive these assets can be. It's more of a pipeline network as opposed to a single pipeline, but at the same time, it commanded a huge price and it was a very competitive auction by the sounds of it. One other deal, which is slightly more complex, looks to be Ocensa in Colombia, uh, the Oleoducto Central. This pipeline is majority owned by Ecopetrol, which is a uh, Colombian government-backed company. But the minority stake for about 22% is owned by Advent International, which is a Boston-based private equity firm. Now, they tried to sell it previously. They had offers from, from iSquared, we believe, from BlackRock, and from Ren House. Unfortunately, that process failed. They went away. They refinanced their stake. Uh, I think they emitted some bonds. And they've come back to the market now, this time with Credit Suisse and Citigroup as the, the advisors. We understand that indicative bids went in last week for that. And we believe that interested parties included EIG this time and BlackRock again. Yeah, I mean, just a comment on uh, just the midstream in general. Sort of the sanctity of the off-taker is always um, something that people think about just because you know, at least in the U.S., less so in Latin America. In the U.S., you know, we cover so many generations of uh, drillers. This is, I'd say, across Acre is not essential to information. But these next generation of drillers that have also failed and filed for Chapter 22, uh, which is the second trip through bankruptcy over the last few weeks, uh, essentially, you know, a lot of these drilling operations were set up five, ten, five, eight years ago, five, ten years ago, off the sky-high oil prices. Oil prices collapsed. You saw a lot of drillers collapse. 
and then reform and recapitalize amongst hedge funds more as like their equity. But even then, you know, they were betting on recovery in oil. It recovered a little bit. It just didn't recover to the extent that they wanted. Uh, and you either saw mergers or you saw companies go into Chapter 22. I'm sure if uh, those listeners listen to the other part of our podcast and accuracy have heard enough about that. Uh, but how it applies to um, pipelines is uh, simple. You know, hopefully those people that are spending lots of money to leverage these pipelines are, you know, reviewing the off-taker, reviewing the off-taker twice uh, to make sure that these are gonna, these guys are going to be here in a couple of years. Yeah, most times you're going to get some main guys like Exxon and Chevron up in the U.S. Again, why I think it's a little bit different down in Latin America is that you have these state-owned gas companies, Pemex, Petrobras, you know, solid guys that are going, aren't going anywhere anytime soon um, as your, your off-taker. Uh, and that's just sort of a, you know, different dynamic entirely. That's kind of what I've observed, but it's not stopping the flow of money into these spa- in this space in both regions at this point. No, and, and the pipeline that Brookfield bought into, the, the Los Romanos pipeline, it's co-owned in about 5% by Pemex. Pemex is the off-taker for that, uh, that gas. And interestingly enough, I mean, if you look at the wider macroeconomic situation in Mexico, they're really struggling at the moment. And Pemex is on the verge of of losing its investment grade status. So that would trigger a lot of activity in the bond market. And when you talk about solid off takers, that could be very problematic for them. So I think the Mexican government is doing everything possible to ensure that Pemex remains fully capitalized Mm. and fully capable of meeting its obligations. Yeah, that means massive sell-down in the bond market. Um, Interesting. Two more things. Uh, Anyway, thanks for listening in today. Um, Just a quick shift to the U.S. market real quick. If you didn't see, it came out quietly last week that uh, St. Louis, um, for their airport modernization project, finally released their RFQ, um, possibly after us writing about it for a good 18 months. They give a very truncated time frame. Uh, Bids are due November 1st. But I think the sediment from the market was it's built in. Everybody's educated by this point. You hope they are. Um, and it's not going to take that much time for RFQs to be submitted. You assume with the timeline, uh, perhaps winners get picked probably in the third or fourth quarter next year. You know, again, with airports in the U.S., people like to talk about it, write about it. Uh, investor groups get formed because of it. You need projects to work, you know, before they get replicated in the U.S., um, and so there's hope, again, that, that St. Louis gets to that point. There are certainly well-heeled investors that we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead that are going to be involved in this project or want to get involved. And, um, you know, hopefully the project succeeds on its own merits. And there's maybe some other airline RFQs behind it. But we shall see. Anyway, to close us off, Jonathan, I haven't ignored your your uh, October 22nd appearance. Um, just give us a few minutes about that. I'll be in Mexico City for the Merger Market M&A Forum for Mexico 2019. I'll be hosting a panel in the afternoon between about 2.30 and 3.30 on renewable investment in Mexico. So we're going to be looking at all the solar plants and the wind farms, changing in regulation, the evolution of the Mexican market. And we've got some good speakers. We've got Francisco Rosenzweig from White & Case. We've got Diego Granada from BBVA's Investment Bank. Uh, we've got Jaime de la Borda from Balam Fund, which is co-financing with Nafinsa, the, the largest wind farm in Mexico, which is uh, Eolica del Sur, alongside Mitsubishi. Uh, and we're really excited about it. 
the event. We're going to have a good crowd there. We're going to talk about how the market has, has grown over the years and where it stands now. Uh, there's a lot of different issues to discuss in terms of merchant financing, uh, some of the legacy projects which are coming to an end now, and trying to see what comes next for, for Mexican renewables. Because at the moment when the government has cancelled the auctions, it's very unclear to see exactly how projects are going to move forward. Certainly not in the old way, what's going to be the new way? How are investors and developers going to move these things forward without those previous regimes being in place anymore? Excellent. Look forward to hearing about it. Well, with that in mind, uh, if you can still stand us after the three or four conferences we've talked about, we will see you next month uh, where we probably have a lot of um, post-U.S. election uh, analysis to talk about. Hopefully you'll join us then. Uh, In the meantime, Burke out. Thanks. And so that's probably the most exciting, the most promising opportunity right now is the 